first is really a cliche thing to say. Like, it makes you feel good and, and that kind of thing. Right, of course. But but are you really? Like, what evidence do you have that you really do that? Yep. And so I feel like I can talk about really specific examples of people, staff, putting kids first and sacrificing their own well-being and means to put kids first, you know, whether that's driving 45 miles to pick up a kid and take them to the dentist on your own time and on your own dime, or taking a day off to go on a college visit with a senior whose parents don't have that ability, like, it's walking the talk, and so that's, I think, one of the greatest strengths that we have is this, this notion of being committed to success, hope, and happiness. That was the voice of Superintendent Matt Gross from the Deer River Public Schools in northern Minnesota. This is Jane Sigford, convener of the podcast Views and Voice Above the Noise, which is hosted by MASA. I interviewed Matt because one of his peers thought that other educational leaders in our state might be interested in some things that are happening in Matt's district. This is the first of many interviews, I hope, that highlight the many good things that are occurring in districts around our state. We so often hear or read about the negative things that it's time to acknowledge the many good things that we know happen on a day-to-day -day basis. One of the original intentions for this podcast was to do precisely that. Within the near future, I hope to have good stories from each region. Matt Gross in Deer River from Region 7 is the first. As educational leaders in the state, people are always interested in how to get better. Effective and positive leadership is not easily described, but we can often learn strategies from our peers. We know that many people and so-called experts have a theory about leadership. They may even have written a book and or gone on the conference circuit to describe what they believe to be true. I'm a firm believer in the fact that we have many day-to-day -day experts who don't publish books or go on TED Talks but who make a difference in the daily lives of students, teachers, and communities. We have a lot to learn from each other, which is why I want to share those stories that provide inspiration to all of us. Deer River is a community which counts on two major industries, timber and tourism, which are both seasonally and regulation dependent. It is not a wealthy community. In fact, the average income is well below the state average. Yet when kids graduate, if they can come back and make a decent living, that is what they want to do. They want to stay in their community. Currently, the graduates are a third, a third, and a third. A third go to four-year college, a third a technical, and a third may go to work or in the military. Roughly 70% of the students qualify for free and reduced lunch. Half of the students identify as Native American or biracial, and white students count for less than 50% of the population. Deer River schools have 875 students K-12 and another 100 in preschool ranging in age from infant to five. The community just supported the addition of eight classrooms to serve these preschoolers. Their students, like those in many districts, are coming to school with more issues and more serious issues than ever before. The community and district collaborated with mental health services to house support staff in the schools. In addition, the board voted to add another counselor at the high school to reduce the ratio of counselor to student to 1 to 225, 
when the state and national average ratio is much higher than that. Matt is very proud of and grateful for the continued support from the community for his schools. I compiled a list of some of the offerings and programs that contribute to this community school and make up the reason that kids want to be in school, that teachers want to teach, and that parents want their students to attend Deer River Schools. Here are some of them. There's a one-on-one -on -one technology initiative and may have been the first of its kind in that area. There's been an effective implementation of the ADSYS program with the successful achievement of many of their world's best workforce goals. There's an active and participatory Indian education program with visible artwork, programming, and support for students, although Matt and his staff are working to make it even better. There was a creation of an alternative learning program at the high school to help at-risk students complete their education. The nearest ALC is 40 miles away. There's a Grow Your Own Teacher program in conjunction with Itasca Community College to attract talented youth to pursue a teaching career. The program focuses on building knowledge about the career, learning about the history of education in Minnesota, including the disgraceful practice of putting Native American children in boarding schools to try to weaken their culture. The program is designed to excite great students to become great teachers. It was the first school in northern Minnesota to create an early out Wednesdays for professional development designed by and for teachers. Other schools have since initiated this practice. As I said before, there's a small counselor to student ratio of 1 to 225, which is much lower than state average. There are still new classrooms for early childhood to serve 100 students, as I mentioned earlier. There are television courses to take advantage of courses that may not be offered at Deer River. Students could, if they wanted to, graduate from Deer River with 20 to 28 college credits from Itasca Community College. Students can also take courses in such areas as industrial tech if low student enrollment and cost of programming is prohibitive to the district, therefore making really good use of technology to fill a need. Next fall, there will even be more technological resources because it will include augmented reality interactions. There are many other good things. These were just a few. Matt has been the superintendent of Deer River for 15 years. He says he's 150 in superintendent years, however, because superintendents don't usually stay in one place that long. Matt was raised in a small town and appreciates the quality of education he received in what is perceived as a rural school. He has an affinity to rural education, although he would say that rural education is not the same from district to district. Just as no two suburbs or two urban areas are carbon copies of each other, so too with rural districts. Matt was originally trained as a math teacher, then got his principal's license. He had a pull to do something different, and he then got a degree in instructional technology leadership with Scott McLeod as his advisor at the University of Minnesota. He has been the high school principal and is now superintendent. We know that leadership is not learned by following a manual. It can't be divided into easily defined chapters. It's more like a recipe, such as one for a cake, and I think we all like cake. There are certain standard ingredients like flour, yet there are many different types of flour as well. There's cake flour, gluten-free, spelt, etc., etc. The proportions of ingredients are different depending on what kind of cake you are making and the purpose of that ingredient. For example, the recipe may only call for a teaspoon of baking soda, but a half cup of cocoa. 
Some cakes include raisins and nuts, but those aren't in every cake. Plus, some people don't like them, and they could be allergic. By itself, each ingredient has a characteristic, but when all mixed together, the synergy of the ingredients becomes an entirely different entity. So too with leadership. So what ingredients are part of the leadership of Matt Gross? He's authentic, accepting, and personally engaging. He's creative. He builds relationships on all levels. He's reflective. He asks questions like, what else? What didn't work? Who has to be at the table? He's knowledgeable about and engaged in all aspects of education in his district, from curriculum to supporting community schools, to athletics and activities, to effective instruction, to working with school boards. He demonstrates a real caring for kids, staff, and community. Plus, he exhibits common sense. It's evident that Matt is a learner. He believes, builds, and supports a staff that consists of well-trained teachers because he knows that they are the foundation of a quality education. He synthesizes research and turns theory into applicable practice. He demonstrates a belief in and working toward a more equitable future for all, which is how the community created and makes the vision for the strategic plan come alive. He utilizes processes. He's very collegial. He's willing to do trial and error and be vulnerable and open to staff. Plus, he believes in systems and frameworks, and he doesn't just import someone else's idea wholesale. Instead, he creates what he thinks will fit and work in his own setting. He has created a collaborative learning culture within the school and between school and community, which he says can only be done when there is trust among those communities. He wants to help change the public message about education. He says we can't let the perception rule the day and many other attributes that are too many to list here. As I listed those skills of maths, I realize that they are mostly about process. Many are intangible, but they are each part of the so-called cake that creates a culture that allows many things to happen at many different levels. Although difficult to objectify, the adage, it's hard to describe but you know it when you see it, applies here. From my very first handshake and throughout the interview, it's easy to see that Matt is open and very personable. He has an easy style as he demonstrates active listening and thinking. His operational style of engaging in strong relationships and developing community all levels was readily apparent as we talked. He seldom used the word I because he said that, quote, I can't do anything by myself. It has to be me and some people. You keep saying when you answer, you said, we've done a lot of this. We've established trust. Who's we? I mean... You're not saying I very much. Well, the, I think well, I, it, it's what comment. it takes, you know. Um, I, I can't do anything by myself, you know. I can't do anything by myself. It has to be me and some people. I think that, you know, when I think about implementation, this has been on my mind the last few weeks because I've been thinking about some places where some things that I've seen have gone and some things that I've seen haven't gone well. And this notion, or, or what I've boiled it down to, is that 
I think you have to have leadership in some some way to make things work. And that can be a person as a champion, whether that's me or somebody else, or it can be a team of people. And you have to have a culture that's sort of ready to do that or accepting of it or willing to take risks. And you have to have a structure that can support and sustain whatever it is that you want to do. And I think part of what we miss sometimes in education is we get hung up on something that looks new and cool and so we maybe have leadership that's like hey that's new and cool and I'll be the leader on that and we maybe have some culture that's like let's do that but there's no structure put in place that, that enables that to just become wired into your DNA like we can't imagine pulling that out now you know um, and so I think when we're when we're most effective, we have a lot of people pulling, pulling on the rope, pulling on the chain. I actually have a uh, uh, one of my one of the folks on my leadership team brought this in to me one day, and uh, I thought I'm going to hang on to that. It's one of my favorite things. Yeah. So let's just look at this. He brought this in, and he's like, "We're going through some hard work right now. I'm pulling with you. You know, we're all pulling on this together." His connection to the community is very strong. He says, quote, people in our community can be here, send their kids to schools they trust, and they know that we will take care of their kids and prepare them for whatever they want to do. Deer River is not resting on its laurels. We are not in the Stone Ages. We pay attention to whatever is happening out there. We can't let geography be a limiter, and we can take advantage of the benefits of being small because we can be nimble. We can make things happen without all the bureaucracy. I like that. Matt is also very creative and it was necessary as Deer River was one of the earliest adopters to implement a one-to-one -one initiative in northern Minnesota. Here is how Matt described that process. We're thinking about technology and its role in classrooms and things like that and so taking that next step was just about crafting a vision and moving forward in that direction then. and so um, you know Coming back to what we know, what we want for our kids and uh, their future, we, we piloted, uh, we, we made a decision that we needed to go down a, a, a little bit more immersive device role, uh, our road, and so we rolled out a pilot, um, a one-to-one -one pilot uh, six years ago. So with, we were one of the first ones in northern Minnesota, I think, to do that. And we tried to base how we did that or what we did on what was out there for research at the time. So we were looking at Project Red quite a bit, which was really laying out like here's where it's successful and here's where it's not and here's some of those conditions. And so one of the things that we learned was that if there's a, in order for these types of things to be successful, there needs to be an expectation from the teachers and the kids that they'll have an access, they'll have access to a device all the time, and so that led us down a path of okay, rather than buying some devices and spreading them out in pockets across the entire district, we're going to pilot it one to one in four grades. Like four grades are going to be one to one because then we'll have that expectation, and you know we'll be able to shift how we're thinking about things from the kids' perspective and the teachers' perspective. So we took applications from grade levels and departments said do you want to take this on and so we had our thought leaders and our innovators that were saying sure we'll try this we'll take the risks so we were working with those people in that pilot year and then it just built momentum but we started with identifying what are our goals of our project and I think that 
sometimes it's easy to get really caught up in, or people and people want it to be like, if we do this investment in technology, then we'll see our ACT scores go up by this many points, and our MCA scores will go up by this many points. And I think people that are too focused on that are really missing. They're missing the big picture around why we why we need to be doing that. You know, if we think are thinking about our kids' future, if we're thinking about how they're going to work, if we're thinking about how people work now, that has to be part of technology. Has to be part of what they're experiencing. So, I don't know that you can ever do enough. Um, I don't know that you can ever do enough training. Um, so I think I would I would even do more training. And the other thing that I would do is. And I've observed this in a, a number of different places and in a number, number of different uh, implementations of different things where when a district is moving in a direction, and, and this was a good example, teachers sometimes will put an incredible amount of pressure on themselves to the point where it's, it, it's, um, it's like uh, it's not productive. So in this case, um, I believe that teachers are smart and that they're highly trained and that, that I need them to make really good decisions every day in a classroom. I need that, right? And so, however, if you're a teacher who all of a sudden is in this pilot group, there's a pressure that, oh, I'm in the pilot group. I need to be using this iPad every single day for every single thing. Otherwise, I'm letting Mr. Gross down, or I'm I'm not being a good steward of this resource, and it's and so I if I was going to go back, I I would go back to the beginning and say because I had to say multiple times since then, you you you're going to make a decision every day about what tool you should use. We know that we want to be thinking about how we can how can we do these things in 21st century ways, but if the best tool for that learning objective is a pencil and a piece of paper then use a pencil and piece of paper. That's okay to do. If I walk in there and I don't see the kids on their devices, I'm not going to be judging. I'm going to be saying, I'm trusting you that this is the right tool for the time. Matt's devotion to doing what's best for kids is very apparent in the decisions he makes. Uh, all of our kids uh, see themselves here and be themselves here. That's sort of like my mantra that if, if the kids don't feel like they can be themselves here in some way, uh, then they're just not going to connect. It's not going to be relevant. And you know, if you look at the if you look at the research on the achievement gap, um, and I don't care if you're talking about racial achievement gap or special education, I, I don't care which one you're talking about. Success in those success in those achievement gaps boils down to some pretty pretty basic, I don't want to call it basic in the sense that it's easy, but it's not like there's 85 different things you have to think about. You know, it's about having high quality instruction, right? It's about having the best teachers you can. It's about having a real relevant uh, experience for kids. Um, it's about having connections with family and, well, I mean, they boil down a lot of times when you boil it off to those things, and if so, how do we focus on doing those things really? So we might be doing a book study or, or that type of thing. Um, and I, you know, I've even tried to be careful with my teams about the term PLCs because I think that <laughs> the term PLC has become how we want to define it. You know, it's that 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 term has a very specific meaning. 
and it's it's important and good uh, and valuable, but not everything we do is really a PLC. Um, sometimes you do just need to hash out something and you hash that out, but it's not a PLC, right? So that PLC, when we have PLCs, when we call them PLCs, we're really focused on teacher learning um, and instructional improvement based on data. Started um, doing early outs on Wednesdays, so I think we're the first district in the area to do that. Um, so kids were dismissed, uh, kids are dismissed like right around 2.20, and um, so our teachers have from 2.30 till 4 o'clock on every Wednesday for PD. And so that's when we, we took advantage of that for some technology training at the beginning. Um, and, yeah. Who designs what happens on those professional development days? Yeah, so um, <coughs> having, experience, ha having experienced that journey ourselves, you know, you create this time. And then you have this, like, okay, what are we going to do? We know what's good. What are we going to do? And I've seen other districts go through the same continuum or the same process where at the beginning you sort of have this, what are we going to do? And then the principal ends up leading it, going, okay, i got to make sure this is happening. And then you move to this really needs to be owned by everybody, and the teachers need to have a greater role in planning what happens. And so... Um, we, we developed a cycle or a rotation uh, because people really want to know people people want to know what's happening you know they don't want to be show up to that time and be surprised like oh what are we going to do today it doesn't feel very authentic or useful if it sort of feels like it's on the spot right but I think that's been a natural progression of the districts around here that are doing it and, and Many of them are now, have this early out structure. And I feel like most of them have gone through the same process where it started out really like unstructured and then principal planning, and but very last minute. And then as you hand it off more and more and get more systematic about it, it becomes more effective. So to your question, now there are leadership teams in both buildings that plan what happens on those days around this rotational piece. So one week we might be doing uh, in-depth data reviews on academic and behavior data. And one week we might be taking a, a deep dive into uh, curriculum. And one week we might be really doing focusing on our own professional learning. When I asked Matt if he had some advice for other superintendents, this is what he had to say. Soda. Um, you know, I think this the the this idea that um, building culture and building trust is to me that's the ball game. Like, if, if you can do that, if you can build high levels of trust and build a culture that that can accept change and really is about kids, like that's the work. That's the hard work. Um, when I sent out the survey to superintendents across the state of Minnesota. What came back as a concern for many was the idea of changing the public message about public education. Matt, too, has some very strong opinions and ideas about that. Here they are. That we are a part of here, um, we received a, uh, a planning and implementation grant from the Department of Health, which is about prevention and preventing and delaying alcohol use. So we went through that grant, and then at the end of that, we got a grant from the federal government to continue it. And one of the things that we 
were exposed to during this initial grant was positive community norms. And the whole idea behind that is like redefining how you talk about things and making sure that you're uh, not letting perception uh, rule the day, that you're letting data rule the day. Like, So if you walk out, you'll see some things around here that say like 89% of kids would don't use alcohol on a regular basis. Well, that number deflates this idea that might be in some people's heads of, well, all these kids are using it. No, the data says it's not true. Um, and the closer that we can make perception get to reality, we've created it, we've redefined, you know, our situation. So anyway, one of the things that is part of this positive community norms framework is balancing hope and concern. And there are awesome things happening in every school and every district and in our state. And we have to, it's okay to go, great, we feel good about that and we should. There's also concern, things that in every school and every district and in our state that we have to be open and willing and look at and face the confront the brutal facts, right? Jim Collins and say, right. boy, this is this is an issue and we're not real we're not proud of that. So what can we do about that? But if we dwell on that, we're gonna get defeated and deflated and and we're gonna let the narrative that I feel like is being created for us uh, across our country about public education rule the day and we can't let that happen. Like we can't let that narrative of public schools failing rule the day because it's not true. You know, I think public education is like the one of the most important things in our democracy. Changing the public perception is one aspect of the message that Matt has adopted from Jeff Lingenbach's book, Seeds of Fire, Roots of Hope, and his other work. Another book that Matt cited was David Horsager's Trust Edge. Those are just two of the resources that have helped shape his thinking. Matt's comment that we can't let perception rule the day is very thought-provoking and may lead to some ideas of how to change the public message about education. We have to change the narrative, keeping in mind, again as Matt said, to balance hope and concern, yet face the brutal facts. Thank you, Superintendent Gross, for taking time to share yourself and the good things that are happening in Deer River. This podcast is one small attempt of not letting that perception rule the day, of transferring the discussion from reaction to proaction. To leave you, I'll once again quote words from the scholar Dr. Seuss. Think and wonder, wonder and think. Thank you for listening. This is Jane Sigford.